We have a great treat for you guys today. We're speaking to Farron Pearl and Kelly Cooney, who are the director and producer of the new film, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. It opens this week at theaters everywhere. They are so generous and interesting and funny. You're going to fall in love with them. And we want everyone going out and supporting this film this week. It is about girl power and teenage girls, moms, grandmas, everything that we can all relate to. We hope you enjoy. Good well, thanks, you guys. Hi. Good morning. You've been on a whirlwind. Are you, uh, you're just back from France, right? Yes, yes, that's right. We uh, had our world premiere at the Annecy Film Festival, which was super that's exciting. Amazing. That is so. I said, why did we get into the world where our annual convention is in France every year? I'm, seriously, it was the first time either of us had ever been. And, no, uh, it really? Oh, yeah. It felt like, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. And as you said, it's like a convention that just happens to take place in the most beautiful places. Right. Yeah. It's right. Not bad. You need to talk to Miss uh, Courtney Pulaski and tell her to get you on that regular, uh, that regular uh, schedule because every year I'm so Courtney and I've been friends forever. Our oh, kids wow. went to school together, and yeah, we've been friends forever. But every year she would tell, "Oh, I'm going to be in Annecy. I'm going to be in France." I'm like, "What? What? How am I not in this world?" That is. I know. That is amazing. So congratulations on the Thank premiere. You. That's exciting. Thank you. And it's so nice to meet you, you ladies. I'm surprised we have not actually met before. I did DreamWorks Animation PR for about eight years as one of your external agencies. I ran it um, with Ann Globe and Shannon Olivas and that team before, like, years ago. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What films so, did yeah. you work on? Um, I did, so I wasn't like the PR firm that did all the movie. I did more of the corporate stuff. So, um, but we did a lot with like Rise of the Guardians and, you know, Shrek. And we did the Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon launch, things like that. So we were really working with a lot of probably your, your peers and so forth on like the ornithologist and like bringing them in and doing stories around that and oh, yeah. the process. So we were doing more of that kind of creative storytelling with the team versus the publicity around the actual films themselves from a consumer perspective. Oh, that's so cool. And Renee's being very humble. She also did a lot with Jeffrey on all of the technology. Yeah, like the and HP Intel. Yeah. And oh, wow. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, shift from that just, not just, but from running a yeah. studio to the to the technology and Billy really being known. So she, she did a lot so, of that work with him directly. So I've worked with like Amazing. Kate Swanborg for years and you know, I did, I, I knew your whole team. So I'm like <laughs> shocked. Like when you're I was like, how do I not know these ladies? Like, this is crazy. Cause you guys have worked on so many incredible, like of the productions yeah. that have come out of DreamWorks. Yeah, Kate and I did a fireside chat about the technology of Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken at Annecy. Oh, oh you did? That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. it was fun. Is that, um, is that a world? Do you guys find yourself really um, meshing that world of science and art. I mean, it's such a, I mean, animation has really become where, like you said, technology and science and and the kind of the traditional artistic world of making movies and drawing. That's so, it's, it's the place where it really meets. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's pretty mind blowing the, um, 
amount of talent that we have at DreamWorks sort of across the board. You know, for, for Farron and myself, we really focus more on the storytelling. And luckily, we have brilliant people that work with us that understand the technology so that when we ask a question like, how could we, you know, create a giant mermaid with thousands of pounds of water hair, they can find some way to figure out how to do it and just tell us, you know, what not to do that will make it more difficult for them. Yeah, no, the science and math, I mean, that's the magic in, in CG yeah. animation, I think. When I was on the other side and I didn't didn't work in CG animation, I was always just kind of wowed by what you could create out of nothing, you know? Because everything, we don't have a set or anything, you know? It's just all from the computers. And yeah, I, I'm growing more and more aware of how much work and algorithms and and strategy has to go into something like, you know, I'm looking at the poster behind Kelly, these streams of light that are coming out from behind Ruby. And I feel very lucky, as Kelly said, that there are people who know how to do it, who aren't me, that <laughs> particularly. But, but it's I really, really when magic. Prince of, when Prince of Egypt came out and the water scene in Prince of Egypt, yeah. I mean, I'm dating myself probably. I was a film buyer for, I was a head film buyer at AMC and at Arclight for years. So every new, you know, every movie coming out we saw. But the water scenes in Prince of Egypt were groundbreaking. I mean, it was like I, the yeah. first time where you were looking at that and you didn't know if you were looking at animation or, or real filmed water. It's just everything, all of that evolution has been has been amazing. And I don't, yeah, I don't think we think about the technology enough or the scientists behind that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you guys, so you guys have, well, we have another um, touch of uh, that wave, uh, six degrees of separation. So I don't know if Courtney told you, but the, the She-Ra team was at, came, was at our summit two, three years ago. Was it, was, was it pre-COVID? pre-COVID? Yeah, it was pre-COVID. But the entire team, we have pictures of Renee and I with oh, the wow. she <laughs> uh, with the helmets on. And we had the, a blast with those I call them girls because they were all so young and wonderful. But those, yeah. were, uh, we, our audience, because we get a lot of students and we get a yeah. lot of uh, people, you know, starting their careers. But they were, it was like being at a concert. They were like gaga over all these, the voice actresses and the and the creators and the director and the writer and every of of Shira being at the being at our summit. So it was a lot of fun for uh, for our for our audience. Oh, I mean, I was on She-Ra for the briefest of moments, uh-huh. and I feel so lucky that I was because, in a way, like it's it's a production that I think I want to see more of in terms of the themes it was working with and also the people on it. Um, but it, it was really uh, even at, at when I was working at DreamWorks TV at the time, and that's why I worked a little bit on She-Ra. But it, it is it was such a diverse crew, and actually majority female, which I yeah. thought was really. I mean, we could talk about more, but like that was kind of groundbreaking for me as someone who's worked in animation. I'm only starting to see more women in the creative side of it, yeah. which is really, I mean, what I want to see more of. That's how we get more tales, and that's how we get more shows like She-Ra or, you know, Ruby Gilman. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. I remember um, we had had a meeting. Um, I forget who it was. It was somebody over at Disney. Um, oh, but we were talking about women, you know, in animation. women in animation and they were talking about just what the cycle is because animation takes so much longer that for the new like chapter of talent to come through it because all of the each film is two or three years that animation is so far behind in terms of some of the DEI efforts and so forth just because of how long it takes to create some of these you know incredible projects yeah, yeah and it's a, I think that's a really good point 
Um, I was going to say when I, because I've been at DreamWorks for a little over two decades now, and when I first joined, our entire story team was all men. And um, it very much was like, you know, production staff was female and artists were men. And I've watched that change. And even just like on our crew, I have to say this is probably one of the first times that we had pretty much 50-50, at least in Mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, obviously that fluctuated. There were times that we, you know, might have had more men than women, or at one point I think we had more women than men, but it is one of the things that I think Farron and I both are super proud of, is how many women we had in leadership positions on the film. No, that's amazing. So tell us about Ruby. This is so exciting. I I loved reading about how you both um, are storytellers, and and that's you know what where you got your start, and you wanted to be storytellers. So tell us how it came into um, that you wanted to, you became storytellers through animation, and then this amazing teenage girl story that um, that we get to enjoy this week. So I'll I'll start. Like I, uh, you know, growing up, I was the youngest of five, and we lived out in the country, and so I had to make up my own <laughs> games to play with myself. So I had a very active imagination, and I always loved storytelling, and loved movies also as a child of the 80s and every weekend my mom would take us to the store so we could rent VHS tapes and (laughs) rent our three or four movies for the weekend um, because she also had five kids that she needed to keep (laughs) occupied so you know I really loved movies and I loved storytelling and when I moved to Los Angeles it was really just to work in the film industry you know as a whole it wasn't that I was necessarily looking for animation but I was really fortunate that one of my like really my first job out of college was working as a production assistant at DreamWorks and I just fell in love with the process of it I love the way we iterate on stories the way it's super collaborative like the best idea wins and it could come from anywhere Mm. and so it was really the thing that I fell in love with was the process and also just watching how an idea on a piece of paper as Farron mentioned like it can it can be created like whatever you can imagine we can find some way to create it and watching how that all evolved and developed from you know a sketch on a piece of paper or a painting to then the final frame of the movie I've all like I'm still fascinated by watching that process and so I you know I just felt really fortunate to to land at DreamWorks and to be part of some really amazing filmmaking teams from the Shrek movies to the Trolls movies um, because I also felt like tonally I loved sort of the irreverent subversive sense of humor of those movies but I also loved that they all were really grounded in an emotional story and and had relationships that you could relate to and so when it came time to produce a movie myself I was really excited to work on Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken Um, just because you know to be able to sort of subvert your expectations about what you expect from a hero or what you expect you know you, you don't expect the mermaid to be the villain and uh and so to be able to sort of play in that space felt like a sort of extension of so much of what I'd already been learning how to do from working at DreamWorks all those years. What was that first project you got to work on there? Shrek 2. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> like I was, I like yeah. landed in the really great 
place um, because, yeah, the Shrek movies were just so fun and and it was really an exciting time to be at the studio mm -hmm. because we were in that transition from 2D to CG and yeah. Uh, yeah. just watching that evolution. And then also just that group of filmmakers, um, the way it was very story driven, like storyboard artists did a lot of writing and coming up with, you know, sequences and jokes. And um, I just loved that, that process. Well, and Shrek is really credited with taking animation out of that family-only, kids-only world. I mean, I know there were other things and little bits and pieces, but as far as making it just, it's really credited with changing and broadening the entire animation world. So it was, yeah. that was a, that was a big, big, uh, yeah, big time to be there. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. And what about you, Farron? How was how is anim how did animation become your your storytelling outlet? Oh yeah, I mean, I feel like I have a pretty common story, which is I always loved animation and art and and cartooning, really. But I grew up in New Jersey, and anything about entertainment felt very far away, felt very intangible. It wasn't even a thought in my mind that that was somewhere I could go. So I was a real like academic student. I at one point wanted to be a professor. I wanted to, you know, or a journalist or something, and I, I, I kept getting drawn back to, you know, animation, and like I would, I used to draw, and I still do, draw comics about myself, my life, it's just the outlet, and it's, I would study Mad Magazine and Sunday morning comics, like Kathy was a favorite. And that was all. I even thought about Kathy. I know. I was like, "You're Caroline in the city." <laughs> Do you guys remember Caroline in the city? I'm yeah. Oh yeah. Parents, oh. Caroline in the city. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I love. I mean, I love all of them, and I really, and I do really like Kathy outside of the punchline it's become because it really felt like a way. And what I try to do in my comics too is like it's a way to show the true me. In right. a way, it's a way to show like here's purely how I think and how I view the world in my perspective. And it felt like, especially growing up, I mean, I was a, like, quote-unquote, good girl. I was very shy, and I was very, you know, internal. And through my comics, I'm like, well, you know, you can't see me sometimes how that, how I act to you, but here you could see what I'm really thinking and how I really, you know, can express myself. Here's, here's how I really am. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to college, I did an internship at Nickelodeon, and that was really the first time when, when I, one, just understanding I could do an internship at Nickelodeon was kind of like a revelation. And then also the, the second thing was like, oh my gosh, everything I love about like writing and drawing and acting, I, I can make into a job into this, in this medium that I've always thought as a way to escape, but can actually be a way that I could live and thrive. Um, and since then I started working in production at DreamWorks TV. So I was on the Puss in Boots TV show. Uh, which I just got to see on the plane again. That was on featured on the plane, and I was like, "Oh my oh, god, here it is!" Holds up, especially the production <laughs> assistant work. Um, <laughs> but, but since then, after that, I started working as a board-driven board artist because it always felt very natural to me. Of animation is a visual medium at its heart, and telling jokes and stories it felt like a marriage between words and, and pictures. Mm -hmm. um, and I was working. I worked on the Trolls movie for for a long time, Trolls World Tour, mm -hmm. and then and that's how I got to know Kelly. And I was vis visiting Kelly, uh, visiting DreamWorks after going on to a different project. And I like to say that Kelly accosted me, and it's not far from the truth. But she said, "You need to. I need you to work on this movie. I think it's really up your alley." And she was right because it's like a movie about 
like not just a teenage girl, but a, a, a woman, like a girl, trying to find her way in the setting we haven't seen with the, these macro themes that felt so specific to her journey, but so universal to everyone. And also an original, honestly. Like, it's, it's when I've been in the industry, it's been hard to find projects to work on that are not IP or franchise-based or spinoffs. Mm -hmm. And there was something so exciting of, oh, we can create a character in a world that people could hold on to and want to see more of. Like, we could start this. Um, it was a really exciting opportunity. Now, that's amazing. And I think what, hearing that DreamWorks has that as an initiative, or Margie has that as an initiative, where it's, you know, fresh storytelling, as well as keeping, you know, keeping the IP going of, of these beloved these beloved franchise, but having the the um, courage and the and the trust in the creatives that there's there's great new ideas out there and there's great new you know she's she's very or DreamWorks as a company very open to having these new projects and these new characters I love that when Seth and, and Courtney were telling us about that it's so great to know that they're they're going to keep coming what when you're you know looking back it's like obviously we want to talk about the project but also just with both of your paths you know one of the things that like we talk about consistently is just mentorship you know and what your experience has been and i know dreamworks just watching it, you guys have had such powerhouse women you know at the helm you know how has mentorship really affected you you know what does that kind of look like because i think animation is obviously as we said at the top of the at the podcast is you know with dei it is still a little bit behind and it's catching up and how, like, what have your experiences been? Yeah, um, I think I've been really lucky that I've had a lot of incredible bosses. Um, and, you know, really starting from Aaron Warner, who was the producer of Shrek 2, all the way to Gina Shea, who was the producer of Trolls World Tour and, and the first Trolls. And I think Gina in particular, continues really to be a mentor you know she's probably the person I call the most when I'm you know not sure what to do about something or I'm having a moment where I'm like am I the only one that thinks this is nuts <laughs> um, she's the person that I call uh, to help talk me down and I think the thing that I always that I really appreciated about her and and really the whole team that worked on the Trolls movies was that I felt like I could really be myself and I didn't have to like pretend to be cool or pretend to know all the answers and I could be really vulnerable with them but also still feel supported and what my role was and and what my voice was and what I had to contribute um, and I think part of that had to do with just the environment that Gina is the producer and then you know Walt Dorn um, was our director and he's directing the third movie now he did this as well that they just created a space where people could be themselves and felt like they had a voice that was worthy to contribute to the movie and so I think that's something that I've taken with me and and working on this movie have really tried to emulate that and create a similar kind of space for people yeah and I think you have Kelly you're welcome. Thanks, Farron. Uh, but, you know, but it's interesting you said, like, how, you know, I, I think something that's been a learning process for me is I've, I've been very lucky with a lot of mentors, too, a lot of storyboard artists or, or people in, in the department who has seen something in me and supported me and all the way through. 
um, Brian Burns, uh, Jim Mortensen. Uh, but I think what's been a discovery in this movie for me, because this is the first time I've been in a leadership role of any capacity, is finding how I can be a leader that is in my, you know, with how I talk, with how I act. Because definitely, I think, you know, going back to, like, women in entertainment, um, the way I lead is very different than, like, how, you know, honestly, how, how a man would. I, I'm, a, I'm a very polite person, and I'm a little more soft-spoken, and, and I, but I still have the same ideas and, and needs and responsibilities and ability that anyone else would, and it's just the way to express it. I think I've definitely, it's been a journey for me to figure out for myself, like, oh, the way I express it is right, too. You know, and I'd love to, I, I love, honestly, the fact that, like, Kelly has been in this big role, even though we do have separate, different roles, it's, it's always nice to have that kind of role model of, no, 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 a, a woman can be here, too, especially in an industry where, you know, creatively, there is so many, there are so many male voices, which are all great, but it's nice to see yourself in that constellation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think especially because we, you know, the movie really is about three generations of women and them finding their own superpowers and finding their own path. It really was important to us to have women in creative leadership roles, you know, from Farron as our co-director, you know, Michelle Mendenhall, our editor, Joanne, um, our head of lighting, our, our composer, Stephanie Ikonomu. Like, there's really you know, a really nice thing. There's like authenticity and fingerprints across the movie that are true to who we are as women, right? And I think we were very protective. I know for myself, I was super protective of Agatha, the mother in the movie, because I, you know, she had made a really big mistake in not being totally honest with her daughter, which as parents, we sometimes do, right, (laughs) to protect our kids. And it was really important to me that she never come off naggy or, you know, someone used the word overbearing the other day. And I was like, Agatha's not overbearing. She's just overprotective. And that's, there's something empathetic about that. And so, you know, I think one of the things I'm really most proud of about this movie is that, that it has you know, an authentic point of view that comes from the people creating the movie itself, not just people trying to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. Like we've lived this experience, Mm -hmm. you know, we are daughters, Mm -hmm. (laughs) all of us. (laughs) And so we can all connect with Ruby in that moment when she's just like, mom, let me be myself, you know? That's awesome. I love that, that it's a, a animated that's real or that, that has those real, those real feelings. Um, are you guys feeling like your like your baby's about to about to be unleashed on unleashed released but on the world? <laughs> I mean, is this something that you you've been so protective and it's been you know for for how long? How long have you guys been working on it? I mean, I've been on it for three years. Kelly, have you? You're longer. <laughs> Yeah, I've been on it for about three and a half. Oh my gosh! And now you know, now the world gets to see your baby. How exciting is that? It's yeah. surreal, especially because I started this during the pandemic. So like, it became this project that kind of I worked on. It was maybe like I say it was a movie, but who really knew? You know, it's just something I kind of do on you know during the day. And suddenly, like, we have these posters everywhere, and. You know, we have a lot of fan art, which I love because I used to draw fan art of things I was excited about and connected to as well. 
it for me it's been surreal um it's only i think only next week will it really kind of hit me of like oh oh yeah 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 yeah. people know this character and and all these things that we put our hearts and tears a lot of tears and sweat into (laughs) to make happen it's exciting it's so exciting in terms of just you know as as you embarked on this process what is your creative process like you know how how do you approach you know it's like that's a three and a half like a three and a half and a three-year journey is a long journey in terms of how do you stay engaged how do you stay in it right because it can be very trying when you're in it's you know it's not a film where you're like i'm out shoot like live where it's like a live action where it's like here's two or three months right that's three and a half years of your life like that's a lot (laughs) yeah 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 uh, we spent a lot of time in each other's office, like <laughs> just staring at each other, like, what are we doing? Oh, yeah. How are we doing this? Um, no, I think, you know, even though it's a three-year process, you know, there's lots of ups and downs throughout that. And, and because of the way it's so iterative that like every, weirdly enough, every day is kind of the same, but it's also very different. And, and each phase of the process is different and I think what's exciting is that right when you're starting to like really get tired of it a new department comes online and they start contributing and adding their perspective and their you know expertise to it so you know like you'll be sitting there looking at a shot in animation dailies that you've been like you know Farron may have storyboarded like 10 different versions of it and now an animator is animating it and suddenly it comes to life in this incredible way that it then kind of inspires you to just keep on going because you know that right when you're starting to get really tired and like lose steam there's this like cavalry coming in who are coming in like fresh-eyed ready to go and excited to try to like take up that mantle and and make it even better than it was before so I think that's really helpful Um, but yeah it's a lot of sweat and tears and wringing your hands and wondering if what you're doing is right oh, yeah. or not. We used to say that there like one hour in real in the real world time was actually two weeks in Gilman time just because <laughs> di- like we would start the day and a scene would take place like let's say at like a skate park and yeah. at the end of the day we're like the skate park's been gone for hours like you're you how are you not, like we're way past that now we're in the ocean now now there's three new characters <laughs> it just it's it's hard to talk about the creative process on this because really day to day moment to moment we had to adjust to okay what's what's the new situation here but always i think the collaborative process was what got us through it mm-hmm. i we i mean animation is you know, or actually I think that's been one of the biggest learning lessons for me going from a singular department story to going into uh, being the co-director. It's just this idea of, I kind of expanded how many, expand my view of what it takes to work on a single moment. Because before it was just me and it was one-to-one, like my brain to the pencil to the ideas. And I think the kind of beauty of animation is really every single shot, the ownership belongs to like 10 people. There, every single moment has had 40 to 400 different brains thinking about how to make it the best it could be. Yeah. Um, and it gets you through kind of knowing that you're surrounded by people who are so smart and brilliant in ways you can't even fathom. That's, it's been the beauty of recognizing how yeah. big this movie is and how many people work on it for me. It's just that we all have a piece and it you're never so- alone in it. 
it's it's so incredible because I just think back and going to like what I referenced before I remember when um, you know with how to train your dragon of like bringing an ornithologist is, which is where I really learned what an ornithologist is <laughs> to be honest <laughs> 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 really in my day to day vernacular but um, you know in terms of like making sure feathers were perfect and how they moved and you know the thoughtfulness and the care that goes into animation it's you know it's not just you know it's it's the artistry right and and that talent that goes into it and how all of these different things move together and I remember that day because you know we were we were working on some you know PR pieces for it but you know of just seeing you know the teams just kind of like draft and sketch what those what the feathers were doing and in the wind and you know and it's it's just there's so much careful thought that goes into animation that I don't think animation necessarily like people understand the level of depth and the breadth and depth of of what it takes to create some of these incredible scenes and moments and how do you bring them in right and into certain moments whether it's to create that emotional connection to feel like you're actually in the film and, it, and it's, it's it's incredible to watch and really understand and i think the appreciation goes up as you understand that the care and thought that goes into it yeah that's right nothing is an accident in animation everything yeah. has been like carefully thought about talked about questioned <laughs> analyzed yeah. and considered before it ends up in the final movie with DreamWorks, uh, with the animation world that DreamWorks has created, do you um, do you enjoy, uh, do you enjoy working? I know, Farron, you were uh, you've done television, and I, Kelly, I don't know if you've done, but versus a feature film, is there is it a different process, or is it similar with doing doing a television series versus versus a, a feature? I think they're I think they're very similar in a lot of ways because in the end, you are just telling a story about these characters, mm-hmm. and I, I think. If you boil it down, there there are a lot of similarities to how it also goes through the pipeline. I think the two biggest differences are time and budget. Because I think, you know, yeah. with TV, you have, like for me, I had six weeks to work on an episode. And in that time, you get the first draft out there, and then you just kind of have to polish it and move on. And there, that's a blessing and a curse. There are some moments where you say, oh, I really wish I could have thought about this harder or delved deeper, but now it's gone. But then also if something wasn't working out or something was great, no matter what, it's time for the next one. It's time to reset and go. And I think the beauty with, oh, and budget too, you know, uh, TVs just don't have Mm -hmm. as much budget. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is really something you could always work with and limitations give you actually a lot of ways to find out how to make shortcuts and be strategic. But then when you're on an animated movie, on the budget side, it's kind of freeing. It's you, we still have a limit and we still think very strategically, but the kinds of moments that we cr- create and because of the time and how much we're thinking about it, how deep we could delve and how much we could really curate them. Um, it's just, the capacity is a little greater. It's only one moment though. And you work it and work it and work it and work it until it drives you nuts. But but it's going to be worth it in the end. So I think that's a difference. And I love both, honestly. But feature does have something special to it. When you're, you know, looking at the, the this film in particular, you know, were there challenges that you faced, you know, whether it's a particular scene or getting it just right where you both, like, and, and it can be one together or separate, but, you know, looking at it and saying, like, yeah, we got, th- we got that right. <laughs> or, hey, you know, this, this scene we took 
it took, you know, a ton of time because we just couldn't quite get it right. Like, what did that look like for you in this, in this, in this project? Kelly, do you have one scene that comes to mind? <laughs> it was the whole movie. The whole movie was hard. Um, no, it's funny because my answer is going to sound contradictory to what Farron just said because I, I would say the schedule and the budget <laughs> was what was hardest, right? Um, because, you know, to create a movie that belongs in a theater that's going to attract a wide audience, we had to really come up with something special and you know as Farron pointed out like this is an original movie so we're starting really from an idea on a piece of paper we have no idea you know if there's an audience there for it so there was a certain you know leap of faith that we had to take um, but we were trying to deliver something that would have a cinematic epic scale and I think the place you see it the most is in our third act battle and that was one of the last things that we figured out and we had gone through many different versions of the third act and some of them you're kind of like I can't believe you even considered doing that <laughs> and then you know when the art department with sort of in concert with the effects department came up with this idea of having this titan mermaid with water hair I mean it was spectacular looking but the first thing I said to our VFX supervisor Dave Walbert I was like uh can we really do that <laughs> with the time and the money that we have left and he was like you know it's going to be really tight but i think we can <laughs> and we had to be you know to farron's point we had to be really strategic about it and and limit you know how many shots she's in and how we were shooting it where the water line was and so it was really one of those scenes where all of the different departments had to come together starting even just from the storyboards you know we had thumbnail yeah. drawings of what the scene could be and we put them up on a wall and we went through and with post-it notes like put like nope can't afford that shot <laughs> can't afford that shot pull those shots out or you know with another color post-it note we would be like this is a moment we need to see this isn't you know there's a moment where ruby rises up out of the water and that was like a very defining moment we were working towards and it was like no matter what that moment has to be in there and so you know that was through story and then layout took that and then they sort of followed that guide and then of course expanded it and then we'd contract yeah. you know it's like this constant expanding and, and found solutions I mean and then between you know and found solutions in yeah. some cases where we're like we need to show this but we can't afford this well maybe we could place the camera a little lower and that way we only see it in the foreground coming up or here's here's how we could hide it to make sure that story-wise we're getting the moment and we're not you know and we we can we can actually we are able to do it so and then and then just you know from from a rendering perspective water is really hard and so you know our lighting team really between lighting and effects they really had to work together to figure out how to just even just to render it so that you could get shots back um, and so it was one of those things that really like Farron and Kirk, our director, and myself, like we only really finally saw it in its full final form when we were like mixing at Skywalker. So we like we really were just sort of taking a leap of faith and knowing that we were in really good hands because we had, you know, Pierre Olivier Vincent, our production designer, and Dave Walbert, our VFX supervisor, who had come from How to Train Your Dragon. So they knew how to do big, incredible effects and world building. And then, you know, we had Joanna, our head of lighting, and Lawrence Lee, our head of effects. Like, we had the best people for the job to do it. And so, in the end, it ended up being like, oh, 
well, that was easy, right? Even though it wasn't. Like, going through it, I think every day was really hard for everybody. But once it all came together, like, it was sort of this, like, smooth yeah. landing uh, at the end of the movie. Like, we didn't go over schedule. We didn't go over budget. We worked over time, but, like, not crazy amounts. And so, you know, it was just really exciting to see it all come together, especially, like, at the end when everyone's just, like, doing their last push to get the movie done. Do you guys take a break now? What do you what do you do when it yes. uh, are you going on? Uh, are you going under the covers for months, or what? What happens now with with you guys? That is exactly <laughs> what I'm going to be doing. I will be under my covers, hiding from the no. internet, hiding from computer screens. Um, no, yeah, I definitely yeah. want to take some time off and really just spend some time, like with my husband and my kids, because you know, to Farron's point, we started this movie and like the yeah. pandemic hit, and so. You know, we really like they've been here while we've been making it um, and have watched it evolve. But now really for my family, they just want yeah. their mom back yeah. and yeah. want to be able yeah. to like go hang out, you know, so it'll be nice to be able to. Yeah, do I don't. I, it's going to be nice for me to find something else to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, one more topic, something new. Wow. <laughs> it's going to be a great month. <laughs> I saw a funny article uh, that, that it was so it was very positive about the movie, but it was like Krakens have had a bad rap for so long. Like everyone, you know, thinks this and this, and it's fine. It's so great that now finally that somebody's positive. It was so funny. It was like the Kraken advocacy group was uh, oh, was, writing the, <laughs> was writing the article. It was very cute that they were uh, they were ready for Krakens to have their time. Hysterical. <laughs> I, I mean, love I love that how we did Krakens because it feels so in the DreamWorks tradition of taking kind of these monsters and making them into heroes and right. kind of not even subverting, but putting a new lens on, you know, the, these creatures. Like I think with ogres and trolls and dragons, yeah. uh, it's really nice to feel like we've added to that with the Kraken of all things, you yeah. know, and made her a teenage girl. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a nice little pairing. Well, that's the thing is like, I love that, you know, that was actually one of the other things that was really hard was coming up with her design, both like as a teenager, but as a Kraken as well, because, you know, historically, if you were to just Google Kraken, they're really pretty gross and scary and ugly looking. And we didn't want that to be Ruby's problem that she was wrestling with how she looked. We wanted it to be about an internal mm -hmm. struggle, you know, that she doesn't know she can handle this power. And, and then, you know, combining that with wanting to create a character that is aspirational, that young kids would be like, I want to mm -hmm. be that, you know, it was really tricky. And there's some versions of her in, you know, our visual development that are much more monstrous looking, but we always kept coming back to like her as a teenager and how can we have a design that reflects her as a teenager, but on this grander scale and playing with that contrast between, you know, being this giant powerful character who just wants to hide behind a lighthouse because she's like worried her mom's going to be mad that she broke her rule, right. you know, like there's something really fun and playful yeah. about that. Question in term, I, this is one of my questions that I've had always with animation because obviously like in terms of directing voice, yeah, like I'd love to just <laughs> kind of like, when you're with your actors and they're doing the voice and they're doing the voices, what is the process for directing that? 
Yeah, I mean, that's something I'm still, uh, uh, I, I can't say I'm an expert in. Uh, yeah. Luckily, Kirk, our, the, the director of the movie, really is someone who, who has taught me so much about working with voice actors just in the sense of, like, I think, as with anyone else on the crew, you want to give them ownership, too. You want them to yeah. feel like they are making, like, they're giving a part to this character. They're playing a character. It's still acting. We still need them to feel these parts and feel these emotions. And because it shows on screen if they don't. Um, so I think, yeah, it's just allowing ownership. And then also you start to kind of collaborate and write whether you know it or not to the actors. Like, uh, Ruby was a character who started in this place where she was kind of, you know, insecure and small, but actually a lot of the quirks we gave her and a lot of how we started to write to her was, uh, was because of how Lana Condor, our main actress, our lead actress, would act and how she would talk to us. And we said, you know, Lana's really good at kind of this, you know, kind of falling over herself with her words. And maybe we could like yeah. kind of put that into the script and give her mo more moments where she can really get flustered, but in this very charming way that she has and, and really play to her sweetness. And then we would do that and Lana would say, oh, maybe I could do it like this. And we'd be like, that's even, that's even better. And it, it felt like we would just, yeah. Giving them the ability to 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 have a part in this movie, really, not just be yeah. there as a hired voice, like that they are they are the character, they're the one jersey on the poster. I think I think that's really the way to do it. It's like DreamWorks has always been known for having incredible talent behind the voices, yeah. right? And, and that's something that's always been yeah. that that's a staple. So it's but directing it in terms of getting those inflection points and so forth, and how. You know, when you're when we talk to directors and for for live for live action, it's very much you know what's ad hoc, what's playful, what's not. You know, so but with animation, because you're literally you know there's not um, like riffing, right? <laughs> it's like you're literally um, you know your the script is the script, right? There there's not a lot of ad hoc or you know improv. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. In the recording sessions, though, we do allow quite a bit of room for okay. improv. You know, that's that's the beauty of it is that that we record them before it starts animation. Oh, wow. And so in the room, if an actor, I mean, that's why oftentimes we cast comedians. You know, that's why Eddie Murphy is right. so incredible, or why Jack Black is so incredible, is because. And Sam Richardson in our movie is another great example of someone who, you know, would have a line of dialogue and then in making it their own, they would start to play with it and riff on it. And, and if they come up with something funny in the room, we'll go okay. with it. You yeah. know? I love how you and I and are so, just like a light bulb I just know, went like, off for us. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, and the other, the other interesting thing I'll say, just practically speaking, is that, you know, they're, they're not acting with other actors necessarily they don't have their scene partner okay. the way you would in live action they're really they're reading with the directors and so Kirk and Farron would be in the room with Lana for example and they would be reading and I think you know Farron having come from storyboard um, being a storyboard artist part of what you need to do as a storyboard artist is you need to pitch your scenes and so you'll be you know showing the drawings that you've done for the scene but then you'll also be acting it out and so Farron's actually a very good actor and so for her to read with those those um, actors really helped to place them in the scene because they had someone that they could riff off in a way that like directors in live action they don't have to do that they don't need to act because yeah. they've got other actors there but our directors really do have to act and be that scene partner and sort of play with like what is it that 
you know, Lana or Tony Collette is giving yeah. me in this moment. So like, you know, Farron was a scene partner with Jane Fonda <laughs> and she held her own. That's the greatest compliment. It's pretty good. That's amazing. <laughs> but also talking about how you could play in the room a little bit. This wasn't really a play, but at one point I was reading with Jane Fonda and I said, well, grandma, which was not right in the script. And Jane corrected me in as her character of it's grandmama. It goes up on the second ma. And we put it in the movie. Because, you know, we watch that and we go, that's the character. And then the animators see that too. And the animation comes, as Kelly said, after the voices. And we have cameras on all these recording sessions so the animators could watch and take some of their um, characteristics, some of their behavior, and put it into the characters. And they say, I love how Jane does this kind of lift with her arm. Let's put that into the character. That A little bit of pride that she shows, a little smile and humor. Let's put that into the character too. So they're, they're the second half of it. Oh, that's amazing. I had no idea that's how it happened. Um, when when do you, when in the process do you start thinking about the voices? Like how in the three and a half, four years, when do the voices start coming in and you yeah. start, you know, switching to them specifically? Pretty early on, because to, you know, Farron's point, they really do help inform the characters. So Lana she was probably cast at least three years ago and we've done maybe 20 recording sessions with her over the whole length of the film and so she's really seen it evolve and then there's other characters that maybe came in later in the film just because they were more minor characters and we could get them in later and we could kind of get by with having you know what we call scratch Mm -hmm. actors um but you know the sooner that you can get them in the better because it really does help inform the characters and helps us when we're rewriting to sort of play off of what their strengths are and what what characteristics they're bringing to those characters as well in terms of like looking back on your history of films and and obviously your experience in television you know what was the day that you both just like were so intimidated or scared. Like, what was that moment and how did you push through it? Oh, man. Every I have to ask because our, audi- our audience is a lot of creatives who are trying to make their mark and there's a lot of, you know, intimidation factors happening. So I... I Farron and I are like, how did you <laughs> 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 to one day? Or like, what was that first day on set like that you're nervous, that you're, you know, or you're giving direction or, you know, what are those, what is that one or two days that really penetrated or, you know, continue to stick with you? I mean, I do really want to say rather than one or two days, it's been almost every day of this project for me. (laughs) (laughs) But like, (laughs) because there, there have been really going from story department where really I walked out of a lot of my experiences going, it's all about story. A story is number one. Like the storyboard artists are number one. We make the movie. And the 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 dawning realization of how many different department departments there are that a lot of them invisible. A lot of them you really like I would I wouldn't even have guessed knowing animation pretty well. Um, and how much work goes into each and every moment. As a co director, there were there were m- moments where I walked out of a meeting and I went, I need to learn more about this department before the next time I go back in there. But something that's helped me is knowing, I've heard a definition of confidence is the knowledge that you can handle a situation and that you've done it before. So like I went to animation meetings and those were the first time I've ever been in a room with animators while I've been working in animation and it was thrilling, Mm -hmm. but I was very terrified of like how, 
how can I respectfully give a note that is helpful to them and to helpful to their craft? That was always my goal, helpful. And I stuck with story roots, I stuck with character. And over time, the more and more animation dailies we went through, the more and more times we saw this animation come back and I interact with them, the more I kind of gained confidence. And that would happen every single time on every new department that I would go in and go, I don't know anything about this. Why are they listening to me? <laughs> oh my God. And like, how am I gonna do this? And then by the end of this movie, I go, oh, I mean, I've, I've learned so much just by putting in the mileage in these shows and I, my confidence has grown so much that it, it's hard to say the moment when I felt the most scared because it was really almost every moment and also the moment that, when I felt the most proud which was a lot of moments as well. You pushed through. That's amazing. Kelly. I was going to say Kelly. Sort of similar to Farron. You know, this was the first time that um, I was really the producer on a movie. Up until now, I've always been like a co-producer or an associate producer. There was always somebody above me who was really <laughs> in charge. <laughs> And uh, it was pretty early on, I think, for me, where we were in a room and we had to decide what, I don't even remember what we were trying to decide we needed to do, but we talked about it and everyone gave their opinion. And then suddenly everyone kind of turned to me and was like, so what are we gonna do? And I was like, I don't, oh, I guess I'm the one that has to decide what we're gonna do. So this is what we're gonna do. And, and really being able to, you know, trust that I had listened to everybody and that I have had enough experience and I've been in the room participating in those conversations enough time that I really was prepared to make the decision and and that, you know, it was it's never my decision alone either because everyone else has weighed in on it. There's Margie and Kristen, the studio leadership above us, that they were also weighing in on major decisions and so you know, you're, that's the great thing about animation is you're never alone. It's never solely on your shoulders. And so there's something really comforting about that. I love that. Those are great answers. Well, we are sadly out of time. This has been the fastest hour. Oh my God. We want, to, um, we want everyone going this week to see Ruby Gelman, Teenage Kraken. We're so excited that you guys took time out. We know how crazy busy your media schedule is, your travel schedule. You have been amazing and generous to uh, speak to our audience. And we are so excited to see your film. And it was so great to connect with you guys. Well, thank you. Oh my God, it, this was great. Thank you. Thanks for having yeah, us. It was thank a total you so pleasure. Much. Thanks, you guys. We so hope to see you soon. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To stay up to date with In Her Words, join the conversation by following Women in Entertainment on our social channels and subscribe to our weekly newsletter at womeninentertainment.com.